Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My name is Padma Lakshmi, and to me, family is comfort, love, healing, and togetherness. Hello, this is We Are Family, and today we are talking to Padma Lakshmi. You'll know her, of course, as the host and executive producer of the Emmy Award-winning Bravo series Top Chef. She's also the creator and host of Hulu's Taste the Nation and best-selling author of two cookbooks, The Encyclopedia of Spices and Herbs, as well as her memoir, Love, Loss, and What We Ate. And she has a new children's book out as we speak, Tomatoes for Nilo, which is just so lovely. She's Goodwill Ambassador for the United Nations and co-founder of the Endometriosis Foundation of America. And she's also mom to her daughter, Krishna Padma. Welcome to We Are Family. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So Padma, you are already part of the Parents family because you've been on Parents magazine as a cover star. And I just loved the issue that you were in with your daughter, with your daughter, Krishna. Now, Krishna's what, 11 now? Yes, she is. Yeah. She is about to go into sixth grade. That's exciting. You seem incredibly close. I just love watching your relationship on Instagram and, you know, and when you did the cover with us here at Parents Magazine. I'm also a single mom. My daughter's only five, but it's very inspiring to see your bond. How would you describe your relationship? I actually, I envy you that you, you know, are are with her and she's just five because I remember when Krishna was five, like it was yesterday, of course. And you know, those early years are so juicy. They're just so tender, so sweet. You know, this age is different. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's different because it's, I mean, she's still very cuddly with me, but, you know, she's certainly got a mind of her own and it's sort of a totally different experience. My relationship with her is what it always has been, which is close and totally loving and totally, you know, joyful. I mean, I, it is the primary relationship of my life without even a close second. Maybe because I'm a single mom, maybe it's because, you know, it's just her and I living together in the house. But whatever the reason, I mean, I feel like my relationship with Krishna is just so close. And, you know, it, it's not without its challenges, like any parental relationship, but now it's it's becoming closer in a much more intellectual way, which is really interesting. You know, Krishna is 11. So um, every stage of her development for me has been so wonderful to watch and so um, informative, not only about her life, but about my life. Because one thing that children do make you do is they make you relive your childhood through them, you know, through vicari- vicariously through their experiences. It's nice to have that, you know, I think it's really wonderful to have that. And I hope that I'm really thoughtful in my role as her mother, because I don't think there's one formula to it. I really don't. And I don't think that every kid requires the same kind of parenting either. So I think it's a very subjective thing. And so I think for young parents, it can be very daunting, you know, because you do get advice from so many people and, 
so many sources, you know, as a good parent, you want to read, you want to ask your elders, you want to see what your peers are doing. And one thing I learned, and I think it's served me well so far, you know, at least it's, is that, you know, my closeness to Krishna as a parent depends on being her guardian, but also understanding her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really the basis of my relationship with her. Yes, it's close, but I, if I'm being, you know, if I step back from it, I think when it's close, when it's difficult, when it's easy, hopefully it's fun a lot of the time. It certainly is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to be a parent, but I never knew how fun motherhood would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that it's not always like that for everybody. And so I want to give those people a shout out because there are stretches of parenting that are really difficult, mm-hmm. genuinely trying on on us. And I have those too. And not everybody has fun being a parent, but I do. And I love my relationship with her. I love first and foremost, understanding her and learning about her every day because she changes every day a little bit. I'm fascinated with her. I really am. And I learn a lot about myself through parenting Krishna. I think it has made me a better person, frankly. Oh, that is so beautiful. And again, so inspiring as the mom of a single mom of an only daughter. I'm just really looking forward to fostering that relationship as she gets older. And, you know, definitely you are an inspiration, you and Krishna. Now, you've talked about Krishna before as your your miracle, because I know that you had a little bit of a, of a, of a difficult journey to motherhood. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there was so much around uh, my pregnancy and and her early days that is so, you know, was so fraught for so many reasons. I, you know, I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 36. I've always had it. It it affects about 10% of childbearing women. Um, and it is a horrible disease that's often undiagnosed. Most patients only get a diagnosis like seven to 10 years after they've been suffering. In my case, it was 23 years I got my period when I was 13 and it wasn't until I was 36. So every month I was in bed for almost a week, you know, towards the end. But even since college, it was four or five days of just, you know, heating pads and chronic pain and teas and Advil and more than Advil and, you know, anything I could do. And it's a horrible thing. And, And once I got on the other side of that pain through finally meeting a specialist, who became then, after helping me, my co-founder in the Endometriosis Foundation of America, because endometriosis is one of the three leading causes of infertility. And if you're, you know, if you're listening to this and you're trying to have kids, you know, it is not always in the fertility doctor's interest to delve into that as a possible reason first. You know, they maybe will do a couple of trials of IVF. And then it happened to my girlfriend, who is now a mom to two beautiful boys. But, you know, she spent a fortune. I just say this for your listeners who want to even have a second kid, who maybe have a first or whatever, because Mm -hmm. she... When, and I asked her, I said, do you have endo? Because there's no reason you seem healthy. And she said, no, I don't really get cramps or anything. And I asked my doctor about it. And sometimes I do, but he just said no. And, you know, then after six or seven trials and fails, 
you know, cycles of doing IVF, which by the way, are really expensive and, you know, not everybody's insurance covers it, of course. And, and so for young parents out there or young soon to be parents out there, I just want to tell you that you really need to investigate that with someone who, you know, maybe is a specialist in those kinds of things versus fertility. But in my case, Mm -hmm. You know, I was newly divorced. I I had been told that I wouldn't be able to have children. I had a fallopian tube removed. I had half of my right ovary removed, my left fallopian tube. And it was a whole ordeal. And in the end, because I got the treatment that I had, you know, I wound up getting pregnant naturally. But I wow, did yeah. freeze my eggs. I did freeze my, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't plan for Krishna, but I wanted Krishna and I really, you know, had frozen my eggs already. The whole pregnancy was difficult too, because I also had placenta previa, you know, I was bedridden the last trimester of my pregnancy. It was horrible. Um, my mom moved back in with me and no matter how close you are to your mom, I mean, I think I'm pretty close to mine moving back in with your parents or then moving in with you at the age of 39 when you're hormonal and everything like that is, is a child in itself. But she was so great. My mom's a registered nurse and, um, she's retired now, but you know, when you're sick, like, of course everyone wants their mom, but my mom is like, a hundred times better than that because she was a registered nurse. She was a cancer nurse for a long time and she's just so nurturing and she helped me through the last stages of my pregnancy and also stayed with me, you know, the first three months after because I had to go back to work to top chef six weeks after giving birth. And it was totally a miracle. Even my gynecologist was like, how are you pregnant? I mean, you know, they're like rabbit ears and tinfoil holding everything together in there. Right. <laughs> what, what were your initial thoughts when you first found out you were pregnant other than to be completely, I'm sure you were like, you know, probably blew your mind, the idea that you, you could have become pregnant without any treatment at all like that, right? I couldn't stop smiling. And I almost didn't believe it. It was weird. I remember like I had an interview with TV guide, not an interview, but I was going into their offices. Yeah. Kind of a meet and greet. And then I had lunch with the editor in chief. They were going to put me and Tom on the cover for top chef, I think. And I knew about it, but I didn't dare tell anybody, you know, and um, I was just sitting there so preoccupied. It was a very surreal experience. It really was because what my, gynecologist and my fertility specialist who we went to told me was that there's no way you can have a child naturally, which, you know, my surgeon was like, yeah, okay, probably. Cause you don't have a fallopian, et cetera, see above. And he's like, even with IVF, there's only a 15% chance that it'll work. And, and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, well, I don't know if I'm ready or in a stable relationship. And they're like, okay, well, let's freeze your eggs. And we suggest, you know, you get on with it. And I was not in a place in my private life where I would have ideally done it the way I did, but you know, it just happened and Mm -hmm. it was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. 
by such a long shot. I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, it, it was such a, you know, it was all, it was such a polar opposite. I remember where I was when my doctor called me after doing all the hormone tests and I, you know, he said, I want you to come in. I want you to discuss them. Like, this is, I'm talking about the fertility doctor. And I was like, just tell me, cause I'm so busy. I'm like, I don't need to go uptown to sit in your office for you to tell me something. Just tell me now, you know? And, and he was like, okay. He's like, I don't think you can have kids right, right. naturally. I'm just looking at this sort of, you know, whatever he was looking at my file. And I sat down, I had a green velvet couch and I still do. And I sat down on that couch and I just couldn't believe it. And I was eating breakfast. I completely lost my appetite. Um, and I was staring down. I think I was eating like scrambled eggs or something. It was horrible. It was horrible. And I said, okay, let's do whatever we can. Let's freeze them everything. And then months went by and, you know, I said, okay, at least I have these frozen eggs. And when I'm ready, I'm going to fertilize them um, as I see appropriate. And then I just got pregnant. I think about my life before being a parent and after being a parent. I mean, I think those in my case are two different people. Of course, the person who didn't have a kid is inside the person who now has a kid and is a parent. But you just, it's such a deep and metaphysical change in your psyche and spirit and your body too, for me, you know, I'm very um, physically connected to Krishna, even though she's 11, you know, I come from an Eastern background. So a lot of my parenting is very Asian is very East Indian. And um, so I, you know, we still sleep together and we still take baths together. I love that. I mean, I do that too. (laughs) I don't think it's like, attachment parenting, but I put it to you this way. I, I am not the kind of parent that ferberizes. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. To go back to one thing you said, and I really relate to this as somebody who's gone through divorce and also a single mom, like you go through so much hardship in your life and sometimes that hardship just turns into those real blessings, especially when it amounts to motherhood and it allows you to have your daughter. Can you talk a little bit about um, co-parenting with your daughter's dad? I know that part of the difficulty around your pregnancy was around the legal challenges and there was paternity tests and all kinds of things. How have you been able to get to a place that feels good when it comes to your relationship with Krishna's dad and any any co-parenting advice that you might have? Well, I think we definitely get the badge for most improved. I will say that um, (laughs) from where we were. I also, you know, we've gone, we've run the gamut of different ways that our relationship has taken. You know, we were also together romantically for six years and now we're not. And uh, I'm talking about recently, you know, we right. weren't together 
when I had Krishna. So we started really being in a serious romantic relationship only when she was five, I think. Um, but, you know, I, will, I think it helps because he is a very interested father and a very active, enthusiastic participant in her life. He lives very close to our home. Um, and so she can walk between the homes now. And I think the main thing, which is what actually initially got us together, in my opinion, you know, because I saw um, in spite of, you know, everything that came before, I saw over years what a good father he was. Mm -hmm. And that made me, you know, to me, that's the most beautiful thing about Adam is that he's such a lovely father. And I didn't grow up with a father. And I mm -hmm. understand the value of it. I don't take it for granted. And I really appreciate it. And so, you know, there are times in her life when he is going to be much more able to help her than I am, you know, just because of the nature of human lives. And what we realized very quickly as we grew as parents and people is honestly that we both have the same first priority. And so we can work as a team for the goal of making that priority the best person she can be, the biggest, you know, kindest success as a human being. And as for us, what, at least for me, I don't want to speak for anyone else. For me, success is really listening to what your child needs. Yes. And that's sort of what I was saying earlier about understanding her. And so I think that we try to be motivated by what she needs. And I always try to remember that, um, you know, it's, I think parents sometimes, uh, even through love, I think you can say, well, you know, if this is my right, I should have this, but it's not about your rights. It's about the child's rights and what's best for yeah. the child. And I think remembering that as a parent helps you not only be a better parent, but be empathic to the other person trying to parent someone you love really deeply. Yes, I think that is so true. And that's how I try and think about it, too. My daughter's dad is the best dad. And maybe, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily supposed to be in a relationship with him right now, but I absolutely respect him as a dad. And we parent well together. And these are different skills. So it is really interesting uh, co-parenting to kind of navigate that. But I wanted to go back to your to your mom. You speak so beautifully of your mother. And she was a single mom also. And you've called your mom a tyrant in the kitchen, yeah. but in a loving way, which I love. Um, so it feels like you really bonded with your mom growing up over, over cooking. And that's obviously had a lifelong impact. Is that something that you're really trying to pass on to your daughter? It seems that way, too. Yeah. I mean, I hope I'm not a tyrant, but I sure, I'm sure I am. <laughs> you know, um, I am bossy. And, you know, sometimes... Um, you know, my mother would say, just do it. Okay. <laughs> you know, my mother tried <laughs> to always give me a reason why the rules are the way it, they are and, you know, try to explain and everything like that. Not all parents do that. And then after a point, she'd be like, cause I said, so just do it. And, you know, a lot of times she did that because she didn't have time to explain. She was a single mom who was a registered nurse at a major cancer research center. You know, she was head nurse of radiation therapy here when mm -hmm. I was in fourth grade, you know? And wow. so the reason we spent so much time together is because she didn't have childcare and she needed to get shit done. 
you know? Right. So like, you know, literally like I folded laundry with my mother. I painted my mother's toenails cause we did pedicures at home. We couldn't afford to have pedicures. So mm-hmm. we gave each other pedicures. I plucked her eyebrows later for, um, <laughs> you know, and vacuumed for allowance. I was really good at it. I was plucking eyebrows at nine. Um, and <laughs> I cooked with her. She needed help. You know, I remember Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm aging myself here, but I remember watching this show called Alice on reruns. It was about a waitress who worked at Mel's Diner and she was a single mom. And when she came home, you know, there was this vignette where the son would have a little bucket with hot boiling water that she could put her feet in. Mm. And I remember that. So when my mother used to come home, from the hospital, she'd been on her feet all day walking up and down the floors. I would have a little tub that we used for a pedicure and I would put hot water in it and, you know, always let her like rub her, like have her feet in hot water when she first came and have a cup of tea. And so I learned that from that TV show and that became our little (laughs) ritual, you know? And so my mother and I had all these rituals. It was really me and my mom against the world. Oh, and do you see that reflected in your relationship with Krishna? I hope so. I hope so. You know, she spends a lot more time in her room um, with TikTok. And I, you know, I think (laughs) I worry about that. Like, you know, she loves skincare. So she's doing a lot of skincare and stuff. But I, I want to do those kind of homey things like we but but Krishna and I go roller skating. Mm -hmm. Um, which we both love to do. We went, in fact, we recently went on a vacation in Paris and we picked Paris because we used to always go there for spring break and we haven't had a chance, obviously, to do that for two years. And also because it was August, Paris was deserted. Right, shuts down. You know, which was good because there were less people. I mean, there all the museums and monuments were still open and so we're like a quarter of the restaurants. That's all we needed, you know? Yeah. And it was so nice. We had such a nice time. And we skated because it was so empty. We were skating on the um, Champs-Élysées. And then we oh. also skated on the Rue de Rivoli. And um, it was beautiful. I love that so much. So now your children's book, Tomatoes for Nila, is such a beautiful snapshot of how food and cooking can connect us with our families and our ancestors. How have you used food and are there any specific dishes to kind of educate Krishna on, on, on her own heritage? Well, I think that the earlier you get children involved in making the food that they're going to eat, the better. It's really important to... Um, instill in them a love of food and a love of cooking early on. If you make it an activity rather than, you know, they have to be forced to sit at the table and eat what everyone's eating. If a child that has a hand in making their own food is more likely to eat it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the best way to develop not only a love for food, but an understanding of the environment of economics. It's, you know, it's also a way of teaching the children how to cook little by little throughout their lives, making it a daily practice, just like you would how to brush their teeth or, you know, any of the other skills. Mm -hmm. And when they're older, you know, nobody, I don't know, manage your checkbook, you know, things like that. Like it's a life skill, but it can also be a vehicle for the family to bond. And you can give so much education, you know, even 
in Tomatoes for Neela, a lot of it is about writing down recipes. And Neela, the little girl, has a little notebook where she writes down her recipes that she likes to make. And that is very autobiographical because when I was testing recipes and Krishna was younger, I would just put her on the counter or put her in her high chair and I would give her a serrated butter knife and some cherry tomatoes or, you know, that she could cut or grape tomatoes. And that's how I would teach her. I would teach her how to count through cooking. I would teach her how to measure and how to do fractions, even in fifth, fourth and fifth grade. You know, I, I showed her what fractions are by reminding her of her cooking. You know, when you're cutting a tomato, it's one of two, you know, and it, writing recipes teaches a lot of developmental skills for children from spelling to organizational um, thought to sequential reasoning to, you know, just giving clear instructions, remembering to write down every step, all of that stuff. You know, it, it's a great way to teach children. The book is also not only about recipe writing, but it's also about, um, you know, cooking and sharing your heritage with every member of your family. And I think especially with the pandemic, you know, parents haven't been able to have grandparents be a part of the equation. And in this story, you know, it's mainly about the mother and daughter who cook, but they also Skype and call the grandmother and the grandmother will come visit in the winter. The book started because I realized Krishna did not know when things grew. Why would she? Mm -hmm. We live in New York City. We don't live near farms or orchards. She came back from um, her dad's house wanting pomegranates in July. And I was like, what? And it sent me down this whole thing of explaining, you know, we only eat pomegranates when it gets a little chilly, when the leaves start to turn for fall, when it's Halloween, we get our heavy jackets. Now we should be eating tomatoes and peaches and corn and blueberries. And so that is how Tomatoes for Nilo is born. It's to teach children that, Eating seasonally and locally is not only good for you because those fruits eaten when they're in season have more nutrition. They're also yummier. Mm-hmm. There's also back matter about farm workers because we wanted to, you know, make sure that parents had a teaching tool in the back if they wanted to talk about where that tomato comes from and who's planting that tomato. There are resources for parents to go to to teach their children even more than what's in the book. I love that. So I wanted to kind of talk, one of my last questions, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about how the last 18 months have been in terms of staying in touch with your family. And, you know, it it was a very isolating time for a lot of people. But I I know just having had your own experience growing up, you'd moved to America when you were four but then, right, and but then you'd move back to India to live with your grandparents when you were seven. So you did a lot of kind of back and forth as a child trying, you know, to keep that connection with your family that way. How has it been, you know, over the pandemic and, and what's been your experience as a, as a, a family of two, you know, um, trying to connect with, with your, your family overseas? It's been so hard. I still haven't connected with them. I mean, I have finally seeing family who, you know, live in the tri-state area, we were just being really super careful. I mean, from March to August of last year, we didn't see anybody. I mean, we really didn't. In Mm -hmm. fact, it was the first time 
that Krishna's dad and I cohabitated. We, you know, we were dating and together, but we weren't cohabitating and we decided to do that. So we went to, you know, Long Island and that's where we weathered most of the pandemic. But then August came around and we did see a few, we saw one cousin um, and her husband and kids. We saw, you know, very few people, but I still have not seen any of my family overseas. In fact, tomorrow we're going to have a Zoom call because my grandma is turning 90. Oh, wow. And we just want to all be together. But those Zoom calls are hard because, you they know, I think same. we have to do it where everyone mutes and one person talks at one time, but that's yeah. not a conversation. <laughs> I miss them right. so much. I grew up three, you know, 25% of my childhood was spent in India because while I've been here since I was four and went mostly through the American school system, I was every summer from June to September, I was on a plane to India. So I still feel really connected Mm -hmm. to my family in India. My grandma, my home is still there. So um, it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And I think it's hard too, because you know, at this stage, when you have kids, the developmental leaps are so drastic. And, you know, Krishna is a completely different person than she was a year and a half ago, also because of the experience of the pandemic, of course. And so I'm, you know, I just want her to have a consistent connection with my family in India. And that's really hard to maintain. Yeah. God, do your best. And so lastly, what are your kind of hopes and dreams for you and Krishna and your family as you go into this? I I don't want to say post-pandemic because I don't even know where we're at, but like looking to the future, do you have any real true hopes um, for the two of you as a family? I really hope that Krishna and I continue to develop and always be as close as we are and be each other's haven and salve and springboard she will eventually meet her soulmate, but right now she's mine, you know, and I, I think I'm hers, you know, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, over time that will change because it's healthy for Krishna to also begin to separate from me and develop her own personhood. And, and, you know, that's very hard. I'm, I'm, you know, there's, things now, like even with cooking, she's like, mom, I got it. Just, can I just cook by myself? And it just breaks my heart, you know, Aww. because, um, I want to cook with her and, you know, she doesn't want my advice. She wants to do it and even maybe mess up. And I'm just sitting there biting my nails on the couch, you know, as she's yeah. frying chicken or something. But, um, I hope that we're always close and I hope that I'm always there for her as she needs me most, you know, that I am useful to her and I am a source of constant happiness and comfort and support and advice and love for her. That's what I want most. That's, that's, that's my main aim in life in general, even before my work or my writing. That is so beautiful. I What a lovely note to end on. Thank you so much, Padma, for coming on We Are Family. We've been just so thrilled to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Padma Lakshmi. Her book, Tomatoes for Neela, is out now. Come back next time when we'll be talking to actor and producer Rosario Dawson about how discovering she was adopted as a young child led to a promise she kept for over 30 years. 
Be sure to follow We Are Family on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at parents.com slash wearefamilypodcast. We Are Family is presented by me, Julia Dennison, and produced by Sam Walker. Editing is by Vincent Cachione, and thanks also to the rest of our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, and Danielle Roth. We'll see you back here next week for more We Are Family.